Good evening, and welcome back to Monsters Never Die, Talk Film Society's spooky season podcast, where we take a look at the original Universal Monsters, as well as their reimaginings and remakes. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Curion, editor-at-large over at Talk Film Society, and joining me yet again on this journey through the classics and beyond is... Your ancient, crumbly pal, Jacob DeNoble. How the heck are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Just woke up from my thousand-year slumber. Cracking my bones, cracking my skin. Feeling... clean bandages. Doing yeah. good? Yeah, just washing right. my bandages. They're feeling a little tight in the tush. Nice, nice. This episode, obviously, as you can tell, is about the mummy. Many mummies, indeed. Jacob, what do you, what do you, let's, let's start with the 1932 mummy. Perfect. That's the great place to start. Yeah, okay, so... This movie, uh, directed by Carl Freund, the DP on Fritz Lang's Metropolis, uh, this was his first movie, like his first uh, full directing credit for a movie. Uh, it stars Boris Karloff as Imhotep, uh, Zita Johan, I guess that's how you would say her last name, as Helen Grossvener. It also has um, Edward Van Sloan coming back to play Van Helsing. I, I mean, Dr. Muller. He plays the uh, same in this, character in literally he, all of these movies. He plays literally the same character. Uh, and this is also an interesting one. It's the first of these. It's only the third one, really. But the first one that wasn't based on a pre-existing novel mm-hmm. or anything of the like. This was basically a, I hate to use this phrase, but ripped from the headlines. Yes. A horror film uh, inspired by the fact that they had recently opened uh, King Tut's tomb. Yep. Yeah, and apparently one of the uh, big things of the day was uh, a lot of newspapers were reporting on the curse of King Tut's tomb. Oh yeah, the curse, that's a big thing. Because eight people out of the 72 who were there when it opened died over a 12-year period, which that is kind of that, a weak curse. That's a really bad curse. That's, <laughs> that's kind of like, yeah, no, that's not a curse. That's just, this happened. Yep. <laughs> Poor them. Uh, that's just natural natural death, like... People die all the time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if people realize this, but yeah, deaths happen every day. And for how many was it? Eight people over 12 years? Yeah. Oh, poor them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, people had King Tut fever. Uh, it was... Yeah, it was like, it was the it was the TikTok of its day. Yeah, and it's, it's surprising. It's like, you know, King Tut's tomb was opened in 22, so there's a fairly sizable gap, but I think people were still hot for mummies. And it's like, it's hard well, to yeah. picture something, you know... It's hard to picture whatever we were really into in 2009 still having that cultural weight in 2019. Unless it's Avatar. I was just about to say, it's like we made a movie about how much everybody loved Avatar. <laughs> Avatar 2, coming 2028. This movie, it's uh, directed by Carl Freund, written by uh, John Balderston, uh, who was also the writer on Bride of Frankenstein, Frankenstein. Yeah, this movie, uh, it takes a lot of cues from... The first movie in the Universal Monster series, it's, uh, I said, you know, he plays Van Helsing, but he basically does play Van Helsing. But yeah, take us through the story of 1932's The Mummy, Jacob. Okay, so what most people think of as a mummy movie is actually mostly taken from the Universal sequels, which is man in bandages going around strangling people. Yes. Um, in this, we just get the classic mummy look for the first, like, Five minutes, and all he yep. pretty much does is wake up and walk out. So he went for a walk, yep. as the guy says. <laughs> so the movie opens in 1921, so I guess that's a year before 
Tut was unearthed. Yes. And um, they find a mummy and they find a scroll and they read from it as you do in these kinds of movies. Which you shouldn't do. Yes. And um, Imhotep rises up and just kind of takes the scroll and walks on out and drives the man who accidentally woke him up insane. As well as as you could imagine. I mean, I'd probably go crazy too if I saw a 10,000-year-old dead guy get up and walk away. And honestly, I think, you know, this is definitely... This scene is the iconic scene from the movie, kind of for a reason. This is what you think of when you think of a mummy movie, which is mummy getting up and walking around. And it's honestly, yeah. I think, a super well-executed, super powerful, super creepy scene. It's a great opening. It works. I really do like the intro to this. Uh, this movie already, it's its not as stylized as the whale Frankensteins. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely tell that these people, like, you can definitely tell that this guy worked uh, with Fritz Lang. Yeah. And, and he, he knew what the hell he was doing. And he makes it way more visually arresting than, say, like, Dracula. Which is surprising, since he also shot Dracula and yes. apparently directed a lot of it. Because Todd Browning was kind of in and out of the set a lot. Well, he was probably working on Freaks at the time, as well. Uh, from what I've read, it was uh, a lot of kind of depression over the death of um, Lon Chaney Sr., who he was Ooh. very close with and had done several movies together. And so it was alcohol, yes. <laughs> as Essentially. As so uh, does. the film then jumps 10 years later into, quote-unquote, the present day-ish, yes. I guess, 1931, so yeah. a couple years back. It's like our 2017 period piece. Real quick, though, I do want to say, I love the opening credits to this movie. Oh, yes. I love that the fact that they used a miniature of the pyramids and the Sphinx mm -hmm. and kind of did this really cool rotating shot around them to, like, do the opening credits. I thought that was really, really cool. I like the opening credits in all of these, and they've all been very different so far. Uh, Dracula yeah, yeah. has a cute bat in the background. It's adorable. Frankenstein uses some of the poster art that I love because it has absolutely nothing to do with Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. It's got like a guy with lasers coming out of his eyes and damn right. It rules. This scene, this movie is a lot. It, like I said before, and I'm going to keep saying it. It's Dracula. This, the whole movie, the story is Dracula. Uh, Van Helsing's in this. Uh, there's the, uh, basically the Mina character. But I think one of the interesting things about this movie is that it takes a lot of cues from Dracula, which came first, but it also feeds a lot into future Draculas. Okay. In that the reincarnated love story mm -hmm. has no relationship to Dracula, the novel or the adaptations no. as this point. It's introduced here in The Mummy as kind of the major driving factor and kind of gets stolen from The Mummy for future Dracula adaptations. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, based completely on the novel nothing else was added so basically the mummy is now he's back he's tall he's skinny he's he's Ardeth Bay he's Ardeth Bay and weird hot take question for you yes is Boris Karloff kind of hot as Ardeth Bay or am I just really weird <laughs> oh he's handsome like I would never I would never call him hot okay he's like, got the wrinkle he's got a face that is so wrinkled and he looks like but he's handsome. He is like six pounds because yes. he's got these he, giant oof. lifts on. And he, so he's like seven feet tall and thin as a rail. But there's something about the character that is oddly sexy in this film. 
Yeah, he's like he's just just this mysterious character that you you know nothing about, mm-hmm. other than the fact that he's actually Imhotep. Yes, and uh, so he guides a bunch of he guides a bunch of explorers into digging up uh, the tomb of his princess in Oxenamun. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially, the story is about him trying to reincarnate in Anaxanum with yes. um, Zeta Johan's character. And Who I feel really bad for the actress, not the character. Why? Well, I, uh, I was I was lo- I was looking into the production of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was treated like hot garbage. Oh yes, throughout the entire production by the director. Um, basically, it was this whole like he it was just his first movie. He needed a scapegoat. If anything went wrong, he would just, like, throw her under the bus. Which stinks, because I think she's honestly one of the absolute best characters. She's great. Maybe in the entire Universal canon. Like, if we're talking about, like, great female characters, it's... I don't know, she's really good. Yeah, she's, it's her and Una O'Connor, I think, that really stand out yeah. the most. And, uh, yeah, it's really a shame that she had she went through all that yeah. garbage, just being treated treated like nothing. Yeah. And but she's one of the best parts of this movie. Yeah, love her. Yeah, no. So this film, it's I, you know, you say it's not quite as stylized as, as um, Frankenstein, which it's not. But I think there are definitely really stylish moments. There's mm-hmm. Imhotep's tomb where he hangs out and he looks into his giant TV pool. And yes, all of those sequences where the camera just like angles upwards and it shows it off is just absolutely stunning I, I love the look of it it's cool yeah it's cool okay so then he he's trying to uh to resurrect uh i don't know how, how do they say it in this movie they, they say it the same as they do in the summer's movie so anoxanamun anoxanamun yes. yes right yeah. yeah that that yeah they say it weird in the summer's movie <laughs> that's the only way i know how to say it. yep uh, <laughs> uh so he basically tries to like he wants to mummify her he wants to bring her back to life so you know the two mummies can be together mm-hmm uh, I'm kind of rooting for him. A little bit. He at least in, he at murders least in a lot of movie, dudes. He does uh, kind of through his pool. Yeah, not a big kill count though. But surprisingly we'll to, powerful when but, they happen. But but don't worry, listeners. We're going to get to a massive kill count in the next episode. <laughs> Hell yeah, we are. There's like 125 people that die in that movie, I and it's insane. Wrote down that exact number. <laughs> Oof. Ugh, that, that's going to be a fun time to talk about a legit psychopath. Uh, we're not talking we're Invisible ta- Man. We're talking Mummy, who's just a romantic who's dude. Just, who... He's a lonely guy. Yeah. He spent 10,000 years in a box covered in toilet paper, and now, you know, hey, he's lonely. Uh, he just wants an ox and a moon back. So I like but the... he does it through the wrong ways. <laughs> I like, apparently, they did an interview with Pierce about the makeup for the Mummy and kind of the concept for... The look of the mummy is the idea that the bandages had rotted onto his face. Yeah. And that's um, kind of one of the things that we're looking at. And I think that's a really cool concept and a really great look. Another shout out to uh, Jack Pierce, who, holy crap, does another phenomenal job here with one of his early uh, Universal Monster looks. They're all the iconic versions of these characters. They're pretty damn good. They're, they're pretty good. And then, of course, you know, the, the Scroll of Toth is, is destroyed and Imhotep is defeated uh, well, don't skip over how yeah. the Scroll of Toth is destroyed, because oh, this tell me, also tell me, rules. Z- okay. Zeta, who I, I, I just call her Zeta, because that's a cooler name. That's a name. cool name. Yeah, it is a cool name. She is remembering her past life, 
And uh, she begins to pray to the statue of Isis, who then comes to life, raises its hand, blasts the scroll, and then his face just, like, dissolves into a skull, and he crumbles into nothing. It's creepy. And then, apparently there was an original score for this movie, but Freund didn't like it, so they replaced it with almost entirely stock music. Okay. And nowhere is this clearer than the end of the movie, where the stock music doesn't fit the footage they have. <laughs> so, the mummy crumbles to dust, you're like looking at him, the music starts swelling, and then it just like immediately crash cuts to the words, the end, like halfway through a musical thought. Mm-hmm. And it's, you're just like, holy shit, this movie is just like... It was a very rushed production. It's like they ran out of film. Uh, this is this is like, you know, the sequel being greenlit before the movie comes out, and then they just, they have to rush into production and get this thing done. I would say, though, I think even with all of that, I think this is one of the stronger Universal Monster movies. Like I said, it doesn't really have the iconography I think a lot of them do, but I think that's more I dig it because I... people know the sequels maybe a little better. I like it, but it's not my favorite. Uh, it probably ranks more towards the bottom, even though I really like it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no bad ones. Not yet. Of the least. Universal that movies. I, yeah, that I've seen. I, I just want to bring back to Carl Freund for a second. Do you know what Please. his largest impact in the pop culture is? The weird spelling of Freund? I don't know. What is it? So, this is the man who shot Dracula, directed The Mummy, whose biggest impact he ever had. He designed the lighting rig... For I Love Lucy, which then became oh. the standard lighting setup for all three camera sitcoms. Oh, wow. He was okay. the guy who figured out a way for them to be able to light for multiple cameras pointing in different directions. And that became the standard lighting rig that we would see in TV hmm. comedies for a good 50 years. Yeah, so like most geniuses, he was also a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I just wanted to throw that right. in because uh, that's I, I actually think that's really a fun cool. fact about him. Yeah, that's that's like the definition of a fun fact. Uh, okay, let's skip forward about oh I don't know, almost uh, almost thirty years. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, before gonna... we skip forward, can we can I just do kind of a crash course through the Mummy sequels? Yeah, hit me up because I I got to know about these. Okay, I've never seen them, and I'm kind of interested in what they what they try to pull off. So this movie technically doesn't have a sequel. All of the rest of the Universal Monster movies do have direct continuations of the storyline mm. from the first. This one does not. The next movie, The Mummy's Hand. God, it's hard to okay. remember these titles. They're all the same. <laughs> yes. So it goes in order. The Mummy's Hand, The Mummy's Tomb, The Mummy's Ghost, and then The Mummy's Curse. Cool. And, you know, $10 to you if you can remember the order of that. Nope. So, um... The Mummy's Hand is essentially a completely new mummy. It's a completely new story, has no relationship okay. to the first, and essentially takes place in a world where a mummy has never come to life before. Okay. And so it's, a, it's an early reboot, I suppose. Yes, yes. And okay. so this one features the mummy Karis, who is kind of the mummy that we're going to stick with throughout the rest of the sequels. Mm -hmm. And he is essentially always fed by some priest these tana leaves that like keep him alive or bring him to life and then the priest is usually using the mummy to go kill whatever people he needs killed and this is kind of a formula that we start seeing again and again and again and i love these movies because they're kind of a proto slasher in a way okay it's a lot of 
You're stalk, selling me. It's a lot of stalk and kill, stalk and kill. Third act, we're going to face him down finally, and then I, we like kick him down a pile of stairs or something. Don't know if you know this, but I love me some slashers. Oh, God bless them. So, uh, yeah, you've sold me on uh, checking this out. I've actually had my eye on that giant Universal set. Yes. And um, as they go um, on, they get shorter and shorter. Um, Good. The final one I like is short movies. 62 minutes, and the first yes. 15 are his footage from other movies. Oh, this is amazing. So you pretty much, you pretty much have an hour-long drama length of mummy movie content. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. Um, but they're all fun, and the most fun aspect of them is that each one keeps taking place like 30 years past the one before it. Jesus. But, All right. So does one of these take place in the future? So they, by the end, they're taking place in, I think, the mid-70s, if you like Jesus. actually count it out correctly, even though it's being okay. made in 1946. So that's just a fun <laughs> thing to watch for. All our food is in pills. But like they, they put <laughs> the actors cars. from the previous one in like old age makeup. That's amazing. But don't change like any of the setting. Of course not. Because, you know, back in the 40s, they didn't know what the future was. They just didn't know. Yeah. They had no idea. But yes, so yes, let's jump to uh, jump to Hammer. Okay, 1959. This is a the from the Hammer Studios. Uh, it stars Christopher Lee as the titular mummy and Peter Cushing as the guy who's almost killed by the mummy numerous times, <laughs> but he uses a shotgun so he gets away. Oh yeah. Okay, this movie I don't like it. I just saw it for the first time. I'm not a big fan. It did almost nothing for me. I think it's weird that Peter Cushing was ever young. <laughs> that like that 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 threw me off when he showed up. I was like, "You're not a thousand years old. What is this?" I don't really like Christopher Lee in this. Not that he's doing much, but I mean, I don't like his mummy design. You don't uh, like his mummy design? I don't like the way the mummy looks. No, because like half the movie he's like covered in mud, so he's just like a mud man. But he's I'm a like, mummy mud. He's a m- ugh, muddy ugh. mum man. And then they have like the 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 full body shot of the mummy and then he's clearly wearing like fruit of the loom like on the outside of his clothes like kind of like a uh, quail man he's like a quail man of the mummies kids might not know what i'm referencing but if you google quail man you'll laugh i don't know man this movie's just okay i said this off air but this took me 12 hours to watch this feels it feels like an eight hour movie it's like it drags on there's so much talking so much talking there's a flashback to the mummy's creation that it's like half an hour out of this movie. I don't know. Maybe I'm not the best one to talk about this one because you really like it. I do. And, uh, it's uh, not, you know, it's not my favorite, but I think it blends kind of the best parts of the Universal first Mummy with some of the sequel stuff. Uh, it takes including a lot Karis. of its, yeah. It takes a lot of its kind of leads from the Mummy sequels, but blends like a little bit of the origin of Imhotep in there with it. Um, I think. There is a very particular, I'm a little more um, familiar with the Hammer films than you, and they do tend to be much talkier than the Universal movies, which is weird because they're so much later. Um, If you watch Curse of the Werewolf, which is a great movie, but the werewolf, you do not see a full body shot of him until about minute 90 of a 94 minute movie. And when you see it, he's wearing Fruit of the Looms. (laughs) But, um... (laughs) I don't know. I think if you want to see a mummy going around strangling people and getting shot with a shotgun, which are two things that I like to see. And a really gross mud ending. Yeah. That slime on the top of the uh, top of the lake or whatever? Disgusting. Yep. Just gross. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. 
But yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's 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 Hammer Mummy, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I mean it's exactly what it says on the tin. It is the Mummy in color. Yes, and ninety minutes instead of an hour, so you just mm-hmm. added an extra half hour of talking or whatever. But like, I don't know. Turn out the lights, throw it on, maybe do something else while it's going on, I, and have a good time. Yeah, do that. Do something else. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I played Zelda on my Switch while I watched that movie, and uh, it's fine. <laughs> not Zelda. Zelda's amazing. Not this. This question. Movie's uh, not that what great. format yes. did you watch it in? Did you did you watch the new Blu-ray? Uh, no, I watched a DVD that I found used for like $2. Okay, um, you probably won't, but I would recommend giving it another spin with the Blu-ray because the, you know, the hammer color photography really does, especially when it's well-preserved and well-upkept mm-hmm. the way that it is in these, I think it really elevates the film when it looks great. And a lot of, and I think it really hurts the film when it looks poorly in a way that maybe some of the uh, universal ones aren't hurt as much because black and white photography is just... Kind of always beautiful, no matter what you've done to it. But um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it another shot. Uh, I'm gonna give a lot of Hammer movies a shot because, like we said in the Dracula episode, I really liked the first Christopher Lee Dracula. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to at least give the Dracula ones a shot. Okay, but I'll, when we're off air, I'll give you I'll give you a guide to to how to how best to tackle to Hammer tackle that okay, mountain of movies. Cool. Now we get to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. One of the first DVDs I ever owned. Steven Summers, I'll say it, masterpiece, The Mummy. Uh, do you like this one? I love this one. This is the first movie oh. I ever saw with glasses. That's awesome. Uh, I can't even remember the first movie I saw with glasses. I can tell you the first R-rated movie my dad took me to, but I, could never, I couldn't tell you like when... Something that came out when I was in fifth grade, I guess. Yep. Well, this came yeah. out when I was in fifth grade, so... Oh, wow. Okay. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. This was this was a great summer uh, for movies. Summers. Summer, <laughs> uh, summer of 99. I mean, to be a, a teenage kid, I was about 15 when this came out. You had this. You had uh, The Phantom Menace. You had The Matrix. That was a wild summer of action movies. Mm-hmm. Big budget, all over the place. CGI-laden action films. And good lord, Stephen Summers, bless you for being sixth in line and finally getting to direct this. Um, (laughs) This movie went through so many directors before it finally got filmed. Uh, So many good directors who I can't imagine what movie they would have made. First they went to Clive Barker. Alright, that movie I can picture. Who, okay, that would have been insane. That would have been a good Uh, movie. Joe Dante. They went to him next. That would have been fun. That would have been really fun. Uh, He really wanted Daniel Day-Lewis to play the mummy, which, sure, (laughs) I guess. That dude would have mummified himself, and we never would have gotten another performance out of it. He probably would have followed up. This probably would have been right after Last of the Mohicans, so he would have done that, and then, wow. Hey, what happened to Daniel Day-Lewis? Oh, he pulled his brains out of his nose. (laughs) Oh, damn. (laughs) Yeah, he, he went super method. Uh, George Romero was considered. Yep. He even wrote a few drafts of this thing. Mm-hmm. Ugh, Mick Garris. That 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 could have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Craven was offered this movie, but said no. Good lord, this movie went through so many, so many people. And originally, uh, Summers wouldn't have been doing it if his King Kong movie hadn't been canceled. Tell me about uh, his King Kong movie, because I've never okay. heard about his King Kong movie, but it sounds like an actually surprisingly good fit of 
director okay. and material. Well, in 1998, he made a little movie called Deep Rising, which has a huge cult following, myself included. I love Deep Deep Rising. It stars Famke Jensen and Treat Williams, and they are and and Kevin O'Connor, who plays Benny in The Mummy. Love Kevin uh, O'Connor. They are basically on a cruise ship that's been abandoned because giant squid monsters have eaten everyone. And not really a spoiler, but spoiler kinda. The movie ends with them crash landing on an island. With giant creatures in the woods. That's supposed to be Skull Island. That was what? supposed to be his... That was Yes, that was supposed to be his lead-in to a King Kong movie that he had been working on for a long time. What? Uh, if you watch... Yes. If you watch the making of uh, King Kong on the uh, Peter Jackson, uh, they end on the original. They actually mention this. They mention that Stephen Summers had been working on a uh, King Kong movie for a few years. And eventually, you know, the budget just didn't work. Uh, Universal didn't really have any confidence in it. And so they just dropped the project. And so then, but then they offered him The Mummy instead. Fascinating. Crazy. Crazy that uh, he could have been doing King Kong instead of this. But I love this movie. This really scratched the itch for an Indiana Jones movie when there weren't any Indiana Jones movies in sight. Yes. I, uh, I will admit, if you told me to... So this is the first official Universal Monster remake we have. The, yes. the rest have yes. been re-adaptations of an existing novel. This is mm-hmm. Universal saying, we want to bring back our classic monsters because they were having a hell of a moment in the 90s where they were pushing those monsters hard. Yes, they were. And all, all over products and everything. Put a gun to my head and you tell me to make a mummy movie? This is n- never the mummy movie I would have made. Exactly. I, but you know what? It works. It works amazingly. I don't know how it, you get there. I don't know how you get to action adventure, fun, serial style. But still with a huge de- uh, dose of horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to this in a minute, but this has one of my favorite elements of a mummy uh Thing okay, so this has uh, Brendan Fraser as Rick O'Connell, basically Indiana Jones. Uh, he's I guess he's part of the French Foreign Legion mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever, uh, and he comes upon Hominoptera, which is the city of the dead, which is where Imhotep we learn. Uh, who hey, after about sixty-five years, we finally get Imhotep's name in a mummy movie again. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Played by Arno Vosloo, who when I was a kid, I was confused with Billy Zane. I read a uh, classic review of this movie, which calls him the <laughs> poor man's Billy Zane, which is Aww. the harshest thing I can imagine Aww. saying the Zane about train, someone, but is The also, Zane train never got out of the station with this. It's also kind of true, though, you know. <laughs> uh, it has John Hanna, who I love. Mm-hmm. I, I love him. He plays uh, Rachel Weisz's uh, brother. Uh, he's really good. Uh, he was on that show, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was pretty good on that. He also is the villain in the Bruce Campbell Love Bug remake where he oh, Jesus he is in charge of I swear to god this is true Herbo the hate bug <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> uh, uh, this movie also stars uh, Mr. Ismay himself Jonathan Hyde mm-hmm. uh, the guy who was on the Titanic uh, as I said before Kevin J. O'Connor from Deep Rising makes another appearance uh, uh, you probably know him from you know Deep Rising Van Helsing uh, and I believe he was in There Will Be Blood He's the shithead brother that shows up, right? Uh, fun fact, haven't seen it. I've seen oh, every Mummy movie, though. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, it also has Oded Fair, who yes. I've always loved. Playing uh, a character he's... named Ardeth Bay, which is kind of a fun throwback. Which is a cool original. little throwback. Summers knows his shit. 
basically. Uh, people probably know him just from these and the Resident Evil movies, which is a shame because he has a great body of work. Guy's really good. He's also got a great body. Uh, that too, that works. yes. Uh, this movie is awesome. Yes. This movie's awesome. They basically, they, they go to Hamanatra. I, can't, I haven't even talked about Rachel Weisz yet. She's amazing here. This movie, like, basically made her blow up on the international stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was, she was popular, like, a little. You know, yeah. she had done some work. But this movie was like, wow, you're a librarian. <laughs> you're, you're fantastic. Uh, I love, I just love everything about this movie. And like I said earlier, it has my favorite horror element. Uh, it's Imhotep having to take body parts from people. Yes. I, which is horrifying. And so good. I do remember being slightly disappointed as a kid that, it did mean, as the movie goes on, the mummy looks slightly less cool every time you see him. Well, you also, you're, they're probably running out of CGI money. <laughs> um, before we get to talking about this, I just, I, I, I dug this up today, and I'm just so charmed by it. I want to read uh, just a few sentences from Roger Ebert's review of this movie. Uh, so this, this is the opening of his review. There is within me an unslaked hunger for preposterous adventure movies. I resist the bad ones, but when a Congo or Anaconda comes along, my heart leaps up and I cave in. Parenthetical. Apparently he loves Congo and Anaconda, which I would not call on the mummy's level. (laughs) Yeah, wow. The mummy is a movie like that. There is hardly a thing I can say in its favor, except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. I cannot (laughs) argue for the script, the direction, the acting, or even the mummy... But I can say that I was not bored, and sometimes I was unreasonably pleased. There's a little immaturity <laughs> stuck away in the crannies of even the most judicious of us, and we should treasure it. Yes. Agreed, Roger. Yes, I I agree with every ounce of that, in that there's not a lot of choices that I would defend with a gun to my head, but for some reason yeah. they all blend together and work in this little... They they work well. Uh, I, I said this earlier today, but this is a great the ideal amusement park ride movie. Mm-hmm. This could easily be a theme attraction. It's just so much fun. There's so much action. I so much action. The right like, amount action of action just, though. Because yeah. and it's and the right amount of like creepiness mm-hmm. and like horror. Uh the, when the one guy has like scarab beetles gr- uh, crawling under his skin. That's terrifying. Yes. I don't like bugs, that's, and I don't like the idea of them being under my skin. To the mummy mythos, that the scarabs, the scarabs, because yes. it is such an essential part of this movie. It's one of the you know first things you think about when you think of this movie, and it's not from any previous mummy adaptation. This is something it's they just from this one for this movie, and I think it's a great addition and one I'd like to see carried through more often. Now, I love this movie. I love its sequels. I've never seen any of the Scorpion Kings. I don't really want the to. First one's all right. Chuck uh, Russell, in the Chuck bo- Russell, innocent. That's what I say. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I've, I, but I've seen this and the the other two, and I really like them. Uh, they just have a charm to them. They 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 are the the lost episodes of Indiana Jones. I think this one does have the most charm, though, and most definitely. I think it's because and, Stephen Summers has spent his entire career adjusting the stupidity dials on his movies, mm-hmm. and just managed to find the perfect equilibrium in this one. Sometimes he goes too far into stupid. Sometimes he doesn't go far enough into stupid. Mm-hmm. But the mummy just is that perfect middle ground. Now, this is one of those movies where, like, me and my friends would talk about it, like, over that summer a lot. And everyone had a different favorite character. 
That is, I think, so, the single most important part of this movie's success is that I, you like every character in this film. Everyone had a different favorite character. And, like, this isn't really a conversation I've had with anyone about a movie in a long time because a lot of movies just have forgettable characters. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the I think the casting specifically is vital to that. I think with who anyone else you. other than Brendan Fraser... Would have been nothing. We're gonna talk. We'll talk about Brendan Fraser in a minute and how much I love okay, that sorry. man. But Jacob, who's your favorite character in this movie? I'd have to say Benny. I just you like Benny. I, I, I love son Benny. of a bitch I mean... on the wrong side of the river. <laughs> There's a musicality to the way almost everybody delivers their lines in this mm-hmm. film. Yes, where if everyone's singing a song, if I forgot the language of English one day, mm-hmm. I would still be able to follow this movie instantly. Yeah. Exactly. Because there is just a there is a note that everybody is hitting that is just so marvelous. And I think Kevin J. O'Connor is kind of the, the inter- king of that. He is the voice that he's putting on, the high pitched His interplay with Fraser is wonderful. Yes. He's um, absolutely someone hilarious. told me this someone told me this, but Summers directed them. He told them act like two twelve year olds fighting <laughs> throughout this entire movie. And you know what? It shows. Yeah. They act like petulant children with each other and it's Awesome. And I, it works. I love that at the end of the movie, this guy did try to help bring about genocide. Yeah. Frazier does still try to save him. Still to, to a point. Him, yeah. and it, to a point. He's not going to yeah. lose an arm over yeah. Benny. Uh, as for me, my favorite character is uh, Captain Winston Havelock, the old drunkard who gets up and flies an airplane I, with Rick O'Connell. I love him. I do wish his introduction was earlier. I wish he was in the movie more. Yeah, he feels like, like by the time we're introduced to him, you instantly feel like you're being introduced to him just so he has a purpose to serve. Yes. Which I don't think is true of any of the other characters. You're introduced to characters and you just you get to go on this journey with him. I think he needed a scene earlier than we see him. Prior yeah, to the I mummy agree. being awake. I agree, but I do love his character. Yeah, no, I he's love great. the the old drunk who just you know he wants to. He was basically the only survivor of the Great War. Yep, and he just he wants to be with his friends again. It's kind of kind of heartbreaking. <laughs> and he fucking <laughs> he gets buried in quicksand, which we all know the desert is famous for. But he but he dies with a smile. Bless him. Uh, that's so that's one of the moments real... I think where the stupidity dial is dialed way it's up. Great. You can say crash it's land, great. and well, then they just go, "Oh my god, quicksand!" And it's not even like a dramatic moment. It's just so that they can have like a nice oh, there's quicksand thing where the plane goes down. <laughs> yes, that's not uh, a thing. Real quick, Brendan Fraser. I've always loved him. He's. I don't think I will ever not love him. Uh, this is like his iconic role, right? I, I just want to ask: Have you ever listened to the Brendan Fraser commentary track on the Mummy? No, but I need to. It is. I was looking through the bonus features. I was like, he has a solo commentary. It is the greatest thing I have ever heard in my life. Uh, he starts barking every time there's a statue of Anubis. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> he, he is very engaged in the film throughout the entire throughout the entire piece. Um, I would hope so. Yeah. So, Brendan Fraser commentary track. I highly recommend. It's an uh, absolute hoot. I gotta say, I the CG in this movie somehow holds up mm-hmm. for, for the most part, uh, and I don't know how the hell they did that. Uh, it's it's not on like you know Jurassic Park level, obviously, but this is some deal with the devil stuff. I mean, where like hey, twenty years later, this is still gonna look good. Nineteen ninety nine's ILM 
was doing it. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. And, I think and that one of the cloud phase still looks great. One of the advantages is a there is a lot less work going on throughout the industry, and b yeah. each film required a lot less work, so that the special mm-hmm. effects sequences really became show-stopping sequences. They really had attention lavished onto them in a way that when you're CGIing literally every background in the finale of Avengers Endgame, you can't. (laughs) No, you can't. And it just doesn't look as good. Real quick, I'm going to spend a minute on the sequels to this. Yes. Mummy Returns. It doesn't hold up as well as this one. No. I don't think at all. Uh, but it's still a fun romp. It is. It's the mummy. Mummy goes to London. Look at him go. Honestly, I think that movie has some very easy fixes that I wish they had done. There's too much plot mm-hmm. and not enough story. Yes. And that if you took out every part of Brendan Fraser actually being part of a secret society and all of that kind of nonsense that doesn't go anywhere, and you just replace yeah. that with some quiet character-based moments the way that you actually get in the first Mummy movie. I think it would be a lot It would stronger. work a lot better. Yeah. I think there's a lot of great bones there. There's a lot of fun set pieces. There's just too many. Yeah. They do also uh, outrun the sunrise at one point, which... <laughs> <laughs> sure, because you can do that. Even at 11, I remember watching the movie and just being... Has Stan Summers ever, like, been awake at, like, 6.30? Of course not. Like, does he know what it looks like? Because it's not this. <laughs> uh, and real quick, uh, I'll touch on Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. A lot of people hate this movie. I adore this movie. I think it's fun. I think it has one of the greatest lines to explain away a new actress. Basically, Evelyn, the Rachel Vice character, now played by Maria Bello, uh, has become a famous author because, she you knows she writes about her exploits with her famous husband. And... She writes these novels, and a woman asks her, uh, is this character really based on you? And, you know, she looks at the camera, basically, and says, honestly, I can say she was a completely different person. (laughs) Which, yes, very funny. Yeah. That's very funny, because you recast. Uh, But I do love the cast in this. Uh, Frasier's great again. It's got Michelle Yeoh, so... I'm in the bag for this one. I, there's a lot of fun to it. I wish it was directed it's by got, literally anybody else other than Rob Cohen. but Because um, that guy's a sack of shit, and he sucks, and he's not a good director. I do love but, that there's the moment where the Yeti kicks somebody through two upright poles and then makes the yes. field goal sign with his arm. Yes, I was just going to say, this movie has <laughs> Yetis, so like I already love it. Jet Li's power is that he can turn into any mythological creature, which is... He's cool! Insane. I, yeah, I, I like it. I, it's fun. I have a theory that I don't think Jonathan is in the script for that movie. He just showed up on set one day being like, hey, we're making <laughs> Mummy 3. I'm here, right? And they're all like, oh, yeah. I, um, yeah, you, sure. Um, every major sequence of that film, something's going on, and he is in like a secondary location just talking to an inanimate object or animal. Yeah, he's not supposed to be there. <laughs> it's just like... He just showed up to set Yeah, they like, just he kept was, being like, all right, you, I guess just do some shtick, and then he does some shtick, and then they put it in he the was, movie. He was hiding in uh, Brendan Fraser's luggage, and they just they let him do this. But yeah, I like it. It's fun. Now... It's nothing It's nothing compared to the others. I I like the sequels well enough, but I, I, I want to pitch something to you. And uh, We're not talking... We're not. We're going to talk Dark Universe. We're talking Tom Cruise. No, no, no. Not yet. Uh, not yet. Okay, we'll talk that for We're talking pre-Dark Universe, in fact. Because Universal is trying to get their Universal monsters back in the limelight. They start trying to get these remakes rolling. They they 
are in the Steven Summers game. They ask him to do Van Helsing. Oh, that's that happened. They missed the most obvious route to take, which is that the sequels to The Mummy should not have also been about mummies. They should okay. have been Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss, Jonathan, mm-hmm. the whole gang going through the Universal Monster Pantheon. That would have been awesome. The characters we care about in The Mummy. Sorry, Arnold Vosloo. Poor man's Billy Zane. You do a a perfectly fine job. Not a single person really likes The Mummy because of you. No, not at all. Just a sidetrack. An amazing feat for making a Mummy movie where The Mummy is the part of the movie that people care about the least. Exactly. You did a great job. Thumbs up. But that should have been the monster series. That should have been. It should have been the O'Connells. Picture O'Connells in yeah. Bavaria fighting all of Frankenstein's like laboratory creations. He's you know morphed yes. together different monsters. They're in Transylvania. Transylvania. They're fighting yeah. vampire bats and Dracula. They're in like southern the Black United Lagoon. States, like on fan boats fighting a bunch of mutant fish. Oh my you God. could have done an entire series led by these people, and I think it would have been a lot stronger. I remember even as a kid seeing The Mummy Returns, because The Rock had gotten so much press, I was literally yeah. at the theater looking at the poster before I realized that Arnold Vosloo was back as Imhotep. Yeah, you didn't even realize it. And You're like, oh yeah, that guy. I, I didn't need that. I don't no. need to see The Mummy Return. I was just down for more mummies, or yeah. whatever. More O'Connell family hijinks. But yeah, so I, I think that's, that's, that was such a clear path that they should have taken... And it, it it almost hurts that they didn't because I think Stephen Summers really Van Helsing is a lot and is a little too much and the character of Van Helsing isn't that interesting but it has a lot of great ideas and if you had spread them out into different movies I think different you would movies. have gotten a lot of good movies out of it. Now I just want that. Yeah. Um, moving on to the end of the episode, the Dark Universe. Didn't see it. Okay, it's fine. It's it's fine. Do you like the Uncharted video games, Jacob? Never played them. Do you know what they are? I know that people want what's his name? Indiana Jones games. Nathan Fillion to be in the movies, even though he's an old man now. Too old. Uh, this is an Uncharted movie. This is not a Mummy movie. That's all I can say. Like Tom Cruise is dressed up like the character Nathan Drake throughout all of it. Uh, it does have a delightfully campy scene with Russell Crowe as Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, who is apparently like. I guess he was going to be the Nick Fury of this universe. I don't know. They missed the Um, point of the Marvel universe so hard. It's bad. It's bad. It's, it's, it's a, such a missed opportunity and no one wanted this. And that's why they abandoned the dark universe. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, it's a movie that like people were laughing at it when the first trailer dropped, mostly because the audio was out of sync. Which, if you can watch that trailer, folks, still one of the funniest shits you'll ever see. My point still um, stands. Ask me, uh, I, you know, maybe this is why I'm not a creative, but ask me to make a mummy movie people are going to see in 2019? I, not this. I don't know how to do that. Not this. Um, but, okay. To bring the episode to an actual close. To wrap talk, things up. To wrap things up, as, as it were. Uh, we're going to talk about the mummy and monster squad. Because mummy came in my house. I love this mummy in the Monster Squad. Uh, it uses that uh, really cool, like, it's almost like the Scooby-Doo trick of unraveling the mummy to kill it. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it uses an exact shot from the 1932 mummy for when the mummy is like leaving the room. That's really cool. Oh, that's cute. I love the mummy design in this movie. And clearly, uh, Deckard enjoyed the mummy design in this movie. Uh, he also enjoyed the mummy gag in this movie. Uh, where the two detectives are talking and he says, 10,000-year-old dead guys don't just get up and walk around. This is a joke he used the previous year in his movie Night of the Creeps. Same exact lines, same joke, same whole everything. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, Jacob. Hey, you know, call me crazy. I think this Stan Winston guy's got a future. He's good. Well, uh, uh, he's, he's pretty good mummy mummy design. Dead, but, uh... Rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> All right, he gave us a lot of our childhood jokes. I would bring you back as a mummy if I could. Cool. Let's do that. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode where we talked about the mummies. Stay tuned next week uh, for the next episode. We're going to talk about a little-known actor at the time called Claude Rains in James Whale's The Invisible Man. And we'll be discussing some other Invisible Man movies. And I will contend that other than the original Invisible Man, there has never been a good Invisible Man movie. I will disagree with that. Okay, cool. Uh, so, Jacob, where can the nice people there find you online? You can find me online at Twitter at Jacob underscore DeNoble. And uh, also on Letterboxd is the same. As for me, you can find me on the Twitters at the Real Matt C. basically any social media over at the Real Matt C. And over at Talk Film Society. Uh, I'm the editor at large. We do a lot of good stuff over there. It's a ton of fun. Uh, so, Jacob, until next time, monsters never die. I said I want a Frankenstein They said the Frankenstein was not a bad